I invite you to look at James chapter 3 today. <clears throat> when I was in college, I worked summers at the paint department, Ford Motor Company. And the paint department was so far from the cafeteria that uh, nobody went there when they had their lunch half hour because it just took too long to get there and get back, so you'd never be able to eat your lunch. So we packed our lunch and we went to an air-conditioned lunchroom that everybody called the canteen. I remember sitting alone in the canteen one day. I'm eating my bologna sandwich or whatever it was. And listening to a guy, a group of guys are sitting right at a table near me, um, all of them older than me. They were talking about women and about what they would like to do or had done with them. They talked about women who worked out on the floor. Um, they even told stories about their own wives. And I, who had heard lots of stuff, uh, was shocked. It was disgraceful. I, I think it was entirely possible that one of those guys, maybe more, was sitting in a pew the next Sunday with his wife singing hymns and listening to the sermon. He might even have said, great sermon, Pastor, on the way out. And meant it. I doubt any of those guys felt like hypocrites as they sat and talked in the canteen at the Ford plant. And they might not have felt like hypocrites as they sat and sang hymns in the pew at church. They had compartmentalized their lives, erected walls between their church self and their everyday self. They were what St. James calls double-minded or double-souled. Hypocrisy is a principal reason Christians lose at home and lose their homes, their families, for Christ. To return to the extended basketball analogy I've been using, hypocrisy is a foul. And the fourth key to a winning home is don't commit unnecessary fouls. When we were studying James, I almost preached a sermon I'm going to preach today. Uh, and chose to save it instead for family month because the topic is so relevant to our homes. We're looking at James chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. Let me read it for you. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praising and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Thinking about hypocrisy this morning. Every year, the most powerful leaders in the world gather um, to discuss geopolitical and economic threats and uh, opportunities. They meet in different member countries each year. In 2013, the so-called G8, the group of eight, met in the UK, and they met in the northern Ireland town of Enniskillen. When President Obama and, and Chancellor Merkel and, and President Putin and others arrived, they found this lovely, thriving Irish town in the Lake District. What they didn't know is that the town's leaders, in preparation for the summit, had constructed fake storefronts in empty buildings that had formerly housed retailers who had gone out of business during the economic turndown. 
They wanted to hide the town's economic struggles from these world leaders. The Irish Times reported that the, the, these image-sensitive town leaders filled the shop front windows with life-size pictures of what each business had been before it went bankrupt. So from the street, a person riding by in a limo, say, would see a grocery store, butcher shop, a pharmacy, some other business to the eyes of the G8 leaders, and a skill and seemed to be flourishing. In reality, some of these businesses had been shuttered for more than a year, had gone bankrupt, left their people unemployed. Now, when ordinary citizens saw what was happening, they weren't happy about it. They'd rather have presented the town in a positive light without hiding the struggles that their people were going through. And who knows, if the G8 had seen what was really going on in Enniskillen, they might have put small-town economic recovery on their agenda. Some of us are like the town of Enniskillen. To the passerby, the acquaintance, the associate, we look like we're doing fine. But that's because we've constructed a false front. Our success is paper thin. And behind it lies a dusty, dry interior that's either painfully empty or full of junk and trash that we don't want anybody to see. Sometimes Jesus' people get the idea that they have to put up a false front. They just have to. When John Olerud, the former first baseman for the Mets, became a Christian, he thought he had to get his life all straightened out before he could tell anybody of his faith. So as he looks back on that time, he says, it never occurred to me that God sees us as a work in progress. I, I was concerned with seeming as if I had everything really squared away. Then he says, that the realization that I didn't have to be perfect actually strengthened my faith. But you know what? He does have to be perfect. Eventually. God will see that he is, just as he'll see you and I are. But we have a lifetime to get there, to be made perfect, finished and complete, as James puts it. And a Christian's lifetime is a very long time. It doesn't end here. Still, the closer we get to our destination, the better the scenery gets. And we can get there a lot faster if we refuse to take the shortcut called hypocrisy. Karen and I were once headed to Severance Hall in University Circle Cleveland for a concert. We got out of work. We had to rush to get there on time. And so we're running late, and I decided I'd take a shortcut. This is before the days of GPS. The problem with taking a shortcut when you come from the west side of Cleveland is that you have to cross the Cuyahoga River. But most streets in the flats, that's what they called that area, the flats, dead end at the river. And if you don't know the area, you're always going to be getting in one of those dead ends. And I didn't know the area. And so I'd drive down a road, see I couldn't get through, go back, go to the next road, same thing. Um, and, and finally, you have to turn around and go back the way you came. In those days, the flats were blighted and polluted. <clears throat> the river itself caught fire when I was a kid, twice. Um, my shortcut through the flats was not scenic. It was unsightly, to put it mildly, with ugly warehouses. And I still remember a, a cat-sized rat in the middle of the road down by the railroad tracks. 
and neither was my shortcut short. I would have arrived sooner if I just stayed on the, the designated route. Hypocrisy is like that. It looks like a shortcut. And almost all of us take it at some time or another. It's tempting because the places we want to get to seem like they're so far away. Truthfulness is miles away, so I take a shortcut and just pretend that I'm truthful. The dad I want to be, or at least I want people to think I am, is so far off. I'm miles away from being the loving, gentle, engaged, patient parent that I'm supposed to be. So when other people are around, I take the shortcut. I act like I'm already that person. Of course, my spouse and kids know better. And so I force them, which is a terrible thing, into the act to be co-conspirators. It's a devastating thing to do to them. Maybe forgiveness is territory I haven't reached. Maybe it's territory I don't want to reach. But I act nice and say pious things about the guy who did me wrong when I'm around church people. When I'm not, I talk badly about him and fantasize about humiliating him and proving to the world how much better I am. Hypocrisy seems like a shortcut to the person you want to be, but it's not. It is a dead end. Because of that, Jesus told us to be on our guard against hypocrisy. Every one of us needs to be on our guard against it. The longer you stay in the flats of hypocrisy, the longer it'll take you to arrive at a life that you love and that God loves. Eventually, you will need to turn around, go back, and get on the right road. Besides that, hypocrisy is an ugly place in which to get stuck. It's where the trash piles up and the cat-sized rats feed on sin. God loves you too much to leave you in hypocrisy. So if you insist on going that way, you will get lost and you won't get found until you get sick of yourself and go to God for directions. Here's something else about hypocrisy. In the end, it always fails. Every time. The preacher who's having an affair while pretending to be the moral authority in the community will fail. Just a matter of time. The gossip who acts like he cares about people even as he shares demeaning information about them will fail. The embittered, angry mom who puts on a front whenever she comes to church will see that front go to pieces. Hypocrisy can't succeed because God won't let it. Jesus said there's nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. God cares deeply about who you are. He will choose who you are over how you look a million times out of a million times. And he won't be satisfied until you do the same. If knowing that you could get away with some sin for the rest of your life and even into eternity, 
you would choose pretense over reality, then God's not done with you. He wants you to want to be real. He will not and cannot love a lie. So if what you call you is a lie, you're in a bad place. God does not love that you. He can't. It's doomed to destruction. And you know what? You will be so glad to be rid of it. Someday the things that we've hidden will be disclosed. Now that's not a threat. It's a promise. More than once, Jesus told people that there's more than once. This was important for us to hear. So he told us more than once. There's nothing concealed that will not be brought out into the open. But this isn't a case of divine shaming. God doesn't do that. That's not what our Father is like. He doesn't want to shame you, but he will undo all wrongs and have the real you finished, complete, and wonderful. If you think that faith in Jesus will allow you to escape that, you're mistaken. If you say, but I've trusted Jesus, therefore I will not enter into condemnation, I answer, that is fantastic. I'm so glad that you have trusted Jesus, but this isn't about condemnation. This has nothing to do with condemnation. This is about freeing you fully and forever from the sin and shame that holds you. This is about making you real. Jesus does not redeem what is unreal. Illusion and falsehood are already condemned. Hypocrisy is a sign that there's something wrong with us. You know, you go to your doctor and he says, uh, this came up on your blood work. It's a sign that something's wrong. Hypocrisy is a sign that something's wrong with us. It's evidence that we, or at least part of us, is not trusting God to forgive us through the cross of Christ or to help us by the Spirit of Christ. See, there's always an element of unbelief in hypocrisy. Once we see that, it's so helpful. When we find hypocrisy in our lives, it means that we, or at least part of us, have not made the kingdom of God our first choice. It's a sign that we believe that what other people think of us is more important than what God thinks of us. Hypocrisy is the, the unbelief-specific antigen. It reveals the presence of unbelief in our lives. That's why a person living in hypocrisy finds it so hard to trust God. Let's say that you're, there's significant hypocrisy in your life right now. And some unforeseen trouble, something terrible like what, what Tom and Sharon went through, occurs. You need to trust God like never before. Just to keep from falling apart. But you can't do it. You try, but you can't. Jesus said, how can you believe? And the clear implication is that you cannot. When you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the one and only God, we are unable to believe when we place more value on how we look to others than on who we are to God. We just can't do it. See, hypocrisy eats away at our ability to trust God. And it destroys our fellow conspirators, our, often our spouse, our kids, our friends. 
their ability to trust God as well. Woe to you if you're teaching your kids to be hypocrites. It's no wonder Jesus has warned us to be on our guard against hypocrisy because it will sneak in. It will catch us before we ever realize that we're in its grip. Once we've seen hypocrisy in ourselves and seeing it as a gift of God, we can start to do something about it. In fact, recognizing hypocrisy can be one of the biggest steps a person can take towards a, a joyful reliance on God. It can be the start of real positive change. So what do we do about hypocrisy? First, we ask God to show us when and if we're being hypocritical. Just like the guys in the Ford plant. Probably didn't know it. If we're willing to see it, he'll show it to us. When we're ready to see it, he can show it to us. If someone tells you that you're a hypocrite, you hypocrite. Even if he's your worst enemy, thank him profusely and ask him to help you see where you're being hypocritical. If he's telling the truth and not just trying to hurt you, or even if he is trying to hurt you, but telling the truth nevertheless, send him flowers. Give him a gift to express your gratitude. Next, when you see hypocrisy, and all of us have seen it, when you see it, acknowledge that there's something wrong with you. Don't make excuses. You know, a lot of men die because they have pain, but they never tell anybody, and they refuse to acknowledge that there's anything wrong with them. And then their heart stops working, and they're gone. Don't be like that. Don't make excuses. Don't blame someone else. James says, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. He's telling us that something's out of whack. Something's wrong with us. James asks, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? literally from the same opening? The obvious answer is no. If both are coming out of you, that means you, there are at least two springs, two sources of energy in you, one of life and one of death. It will help to be alert to what comes out of your mouth. That's where hypocrisy normally appears first. There are some diseases that your dentist is going to find before your oncologist because the first signs are in your mouth. One of the most common kinds of hypocrisy has to do with saying one kind of thing around certain people, church, for example, and something quite different around other people, at work, for example. We would do well to take the mouth test. Do I talk the same at church as I do at home, as I do when I'm with my coworkers. Talking badly about people, cursing them. James speaks of cursing. Cursing, talking in ways that bring trouble into their lives or cause others to think badly of them is an early warning sign. It's evidence that the Christian is divided, possibly double-minded. But the heart of the problem isn't up here, it's down here. The heart of the problem is the heart, the command center of the person. It's from the heart we choose our direction. Hypocrisy reveals that we have an impure heart. We haven't made our choice. We're not all in. 
We need to make the choice for Jesus and his rule over our life in its entirety, not our Sunday morning life, not our spiritual life, our life at church, at work, at home. That's a different thing from choosing to be religious or even choosing to go to heaven. I'll mention one final thing. I've repeatedly said something like hypocrisy is a sign that we are at least some part of us. Here's why I say that. It's possibly to be genuine, but not be complete. In fact, it's more than possible, it's likely. I have often reminded you that we are bigger on the inside than on the outside. Our inner life is this vast terrain. What that means is that we can genuinely submit to God's rule where we are right now and find out later that there are other areas of our lives that are not submitted to God. They're pockets of resistance, holdouts. When we find, and we will, if you're intending to live for Jesus, you're going to find this in you. When we find pockets of resistance to God's rule, areas of fear or greed or pride, where unbelief is holding ground in our lives, we need to call on God for support and take that area for King Jesus. It helps to have somebody with us. I want to tell you what I'm doing in my life to take this area for Jesus. See, the way out of hypocrisy, and it's the only way out, is to go all in with God. Hypocrisy thrives in the soil of a half-committed life. We don't get out of it by deciding that we're going to stop being hypocritical. That'll never work. We get out of it by choosing to start being God's person all the way through every bit of us. All right, I'm going to let God finish this. If he has something else to say to you, so let's take a moment, bow our heads, and be quiet. And if he does, would you respond to him? If you're starting something in one of us today, would you bring it to completion? I know you will. Lord, if I've said something that's just chaff, would you blow it away and let the good stuff stay? In Jesus' name, amen.